So I'm going to hand over now to Felix, and then it's going to be Dave, and then Matt. And these three guys are going to bring something to us here today from God's Word. Thank you, Andrew. Morning. If you don't know me, my name is Felix. Uh, celebrating today Father's Day. I'm a, a, a dad to three lovely children. Marion, who is 15, she's in boarding school in Kenya. Tiffany, who is 10, she's around here somewhere. And Zachary, uh, who is now just gone three months. Now, it gives me such a great joy being a dad. And it gives me such joy knowing God, our Father, as I play my role as being dad to my children. And this morning, uh, myself and my friends are going to talk to you about uh, God, our Father, and how our experience as being dads uh, have taught us how to relate to God, our Father. We are not sharing this because we know anything better than you because, you know, all of you or most of you have a vast experience in this. But we are kind of acknowledging, you know, our failures, acknowledging our strength and kind of lifting those up to God and saying God will care and look after it. And that is what we did this morning by dedicating our children to God. We are in essence saying that we are actually not able to be good dads but we are trusting our Heavenly Father, who is our dad, and will look after us. So myself growing up, I grew up with a dad. My dad was always there. He was there when I was born, being born the 19th in the family. He was very much there. He was there when I was growing up. He was there every day at the meal table. He was there in school where I went to school because he was the head teacher of the school I was attending. <laughs> he was there at church as a leader for all, all his life that I know. He was a leader at church. And he was there every evening as he gathered his family for prayers. So I grew up with my dad pretty much being everywhere. But you might think that that was something that I really enjoyed and loved and really knew the experience of growing closer to a dad, but no. I felt very distant from my dad growing up. And that was not my dad's fault at all or anything that he had done. He was a very kind, loving, faithful man I've ever known all my life. But the problem was me. I kept a distance because of my fear that my dad was tough, on discipline, the fear that my dad would never let me out of a loop if I make a mistake. And that was because of the information that I had been fed by people, mostly my elder brothers and sisters, because, you know, they were way older than me. And every time my dad would be away and I would make a mistake, they would use that opportunity to practice parenthood. And they will really discipline me and to cover themselves from my dad realizing they would threaten me that they are going to tell off my dad when he comes back. So I would live in this constant fear that someone will tell my dad something 
and I'm going to be disciplined. And that being a father who would never let discipline go, I knew that he's actually going to discipline me. And growing like that, it wasn't something good because I grew in fear of my dad till my early adulthood. But that changed at some point in my life when I made a mistake, a mistake that I esteemed to be so grave, especially for a kind of father that he was standing in the community, a very strong Christian man. I had the information that I have, I, I have become a father. And I wasn't married. I wasn't in a relationship. And just thinking about the stigma that that is going to bring to my family and to my father, I thought that he is going to really, really cast me out and reject me. But that was the opposite of my father. Because just at the same time, I got prospects from a college that I wanted to attend and There was a lot of money that was needed. And mind you, dad had retired years and years ago. And he had worked all his life for his 19 children. Educating them through primary and secondary and university. Nothing in those days was free. You had to pay everything from primary to university. And he had lived all his life spending his money on his family. So I thought, I have made this big mistake At the same time, I know my dad doesn't have money. There is no way in the world he's going to agree to take me to college. But the moment I took the courage to relay the news to my dad and give him the prospects, he never even argued or asked how much it is. He never even reminded me of the mistakes and the many other mistakes I had made in my life. He never even asked me, how am I going to get the money? He just said, you want to take that course? you go to college. And that, realizing and knowing just how hard it would be for, me, for him to pay that fees, it just kind of broke something in me. And for the first time, I realized that my dad really, really loves me. And I would think back about how he had cared for me, how he had lived all his life for his children. My dad was never on holiday even for a single day. My dad never even went out for a meal. He literally worked so hard all his life because of his children. And looking at that, what a wonderful sacrifice. It really enabled me to see how my dad loves and cares for me. Not because of what I've done, not because of what I'm doing, but because of who he is. And thinking through this as I speak this morning, I was thinking there might be some of us this morning who are thinking like that for our Heavenly Father. You are thinking that maybe because you have done such and such a thing, you are walking distantly from your Father because you think that God is there waiting to pound on you and discipline you. But that is not true about our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father is there waiting for us every time, beseeching us. So many times my my dad beseeched me to come to him, but I was always walking afar. And it is a shame to say that I lost all my childhood, not spending time with my dad, 
Not enjoying the joy of my dad just because of my fear that my dad is cruel. Just because of a lie that my dad doesn't care or love me. And I just feel this morning that there might be someone here who is thinking the same about our Heavenly Father. Because of maybe something that you have done or something that is going through in your life, you feel like your Heavenly Father is such a distant away and you can't go to him. You feel like he's looking up and judging you and just waiting for the moment that he will tell you everything that you have ever done. But I want to remind you, just as my story, you are missing out on a great and awesome relationship that you would be enjoying every moment with your father and you are missing out because of your fear. So I would welcome you to let down your fear and go to this heavenly father who loves and cares for us. I love this word that Pope Francis said recently. He said, God is not distant and anonymous. He is our refuge the source of our serenity and peace. God is for us a friend, an ally, a father. But we do not always realize this. We prefer to lean on immediate and contingent assets, forgetting and sometimes refusing the supreme God that is God's fatherly love. Experiencing him as a father in this age of orphanhood is so important. And that is what we really need to grasp and see. That we have a father, regardless of the relationships that we have with our earthly fathers, we have a heavenly father that delights and cares for us. Now at some moment, you might feel like this father is distant. This father is away from you. That you, you can't really feel the presence of God, probably with what is happening in your life. The next thing I want to talk to you very quickly is this God works in time. Because everything with God works in time. I realized this a couple of years ago. I was growing up, I was so zealous about life. I had everything laid down. I had made up my mind at the age of 25, I want to get married. And I laid that down. And I said, But between the age of 25 and the age of 30, I want to have children. And by the age of 30, I I want to start living. That is why I was really looking forward to being 30. And then I got to 30, I don't even have a girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Things never work out the way you lay it and plan it. And I remember being so frustrated and thinking... What is going on? Why is it that I'm not, it's not happening the way I had planned? But I had to put my hands up and say, God, I give my life to you and all that you want me to do. So at the age of 31, I got married. So I said, quick, I want to have two years of fun, then we have children. So that plan was laid down. But it never happened. So by the time I said, okay, now is the time. And we started trying for children. Twice trying for children. And we had two miscarriages. And it was a very, very hard time for us. But through the encouragement of 
reading the word of God, through the encouragement of men and women of God that he laid on their hearts to speak faith in our life, we came to the realization that it is all about God's timing. Because unless you agree to walk into his time, this life is so frustrating. Because he is a perfect God. And he knows, he says that my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher above the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the biggest thing I've learned up to now, being a dad, is not making big plans. I'm learning day by day just to depend on God, to rely on God, to just look up to God. Because this thing, this whole thing about being a father is nothing like I imagined. It is a new experience every day. It is a new lesson every day. And if I put my plan to it, it's just going to be frustrated. So my desire, and my desire for you is that you will lean on God. You will depend on God. Yes, you can make your plans. Yes, you can make uh, your ambitions. But root that in Christ. Root that in God. And let God be the one that will direct your plans every day. Now I want to welcome Dave, who is going to continue talking to us about how his experience as being a dad has helped him understand our Heavenly Father. So I thought I would talk about my favorite and my least favorite parts of being a parent, so being a dad. So I've, I've been, as you might have seen with my two children, I've been a dad for just over sort of about two and a half years. And the thing I love the most is lavishing my children and blessing them and spoiling them, actually, because it's, it's fun to see the joy in, on their, in their face when you give them a big hug. Or I've got an example of we bought, George unfortunately had a habit, well this is probably, you know, not, not a good thing, you know, Daniel Dirty, which had a habit of, he loved bouncing on the settees and on our bed. And so the, Lizzie and I decided the best thing we could buy him was a small mini trampoline, because then hopefully he would bounce on that instead. And I still remember the day that I put it downstairs and I put it all up and he came downstairs and saw it and his eyes were just like, and he must have stand, set bouncing on this for an, an hour. <laughs> and actually, he'll quite happily, he'll be talking to you sometimes, and he'll just suddenly walk onto it and carry on talking and just be bouncing on his little trampoline. And, but just being able to, as a dad, give him this gift and see the joy and see the excitement in him, it was just, it's something, and also is saving our sofas and our bed, which is always a good thing. So. But as a dad, you just want to bring your children joy. You actually want that. You realise quite quickly after a while, there's times where you just, you just want to get that, that smile out of them. It's something that blesses me so much. Is I, when I come home from work and I open the door and nearly always Lizzie will be having the boys in, in our kitchen and they're doing dinner. So George will be sitting on the bench with his tea. Ben will be in his high chair and I walk in and they'll both look at me and I'll get these big smiles. And it's great. I love it. Absolutely love it. But I want to tell you that God is exactly the same. Okay, that's how exactly he sees us. And he wants to lavish you as well. And I'm going to just take two scriptures. James 1 verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it, and it will be given to you. 
And in Matthew 7, from verse 9, it says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, (laughs) know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to you when you ask him? But I want to unpack that a little bit, is because... Our experience can sometimes be, well, well, hang on. I hear that, but sometimes I'll ask God for stuff, and he's not. He's not provided, or he's not answered my prayers. Does that mean he's not? he doesn't love me, and he doesn't want to lavish on me? Well, I want to take you back to an example of earthly fathers. My children sometimes ask for things that aren't good for them. George loves cake. George would keep eating cake until he was sick. He would. He absolutely loves it. Uh, little lights on a Monday, I come along and I sit there with a piece of cake and we share a piece of Victoria sponge. And I have to eat as quickly as possible so he doesn't eat a whole slice on his own. Okay? And the reason I don't let him just eat cake is because I know it's not good for him. You know, it's not good for him to just gorge himself on cake. But do you know what? It would be the easiest thing in the world to go, son, I love you. Have more cake. Because <laughs> he would be, thanks, Dad. He would be very happy. I've got another good example, which is um, some of you might have had, um, we had some chocolate here, some little bars of chocolate. Um, and I didn't know if George would like it, actually, because it was dark chocolate. And they would like little mini bars of chocolate, and they had lots of little squares. And I broke off a little line when he was having his dinner, and I gave it to him. And I said, do you want to try that? And at th- that particular day, Lizzie was out, and my parents were around helping and I said, I said to George, you want to try that? And he, he went, oh, it's really nice. And I said to my dad, he's just had his dinner. I said, if he finishes it, let him have another one. And I went upstairs, and, but I helped mum bath Ben. Came back downstairs. And my expectation, obviously I'd communicated rather badly at this point. Because my expectation was he would have another line of chocolate. My dad had heard it as another bar. <laughs> <laughs> So George is sitting there with chocolate all around his face and a big grin. And I'm sitting there going, and I've got to get you to go to sleep in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> but this is, this is what I say is that what we see as what is good for us isn't always what's good for us. You know, kids will ask for things that aren't good for us. You know, you know George is eating chocolate and, and cake isn't a good thing. Also, I've had examples when with George, he'll walk over and he'll point to a toy another child's playing with. And it's like, Daddy, you know, I want to play with that. Now, would I be a good father if I just grabbed that toy off the other child and gave it to him? Is that a good model? Is that teaching him good things? No. And equally, George is he's, he's learning good politeness, but he's not quite understanding the way it works. Because he'll walk up to the child and go, please. But he doesn't realise that they don't always have to give him the thing if he says please. And as he looks, he's like... You could see this look of, but Dad, I said, please. <laughs> so, but the thing is, these are, again, this is, this is something, it's very hard to understand when you're two and a half. He just doesn't understand. But we do, as parents, we understand these are the things they've got to learn. These are the things that, you know, he's got to learn that actually sometimes you've got to be patient. You've got to share. He has to learn that he's got to share with his little brother, which he doesn't always like. And also, the other thing is, if we give our children absolutely everything and spoil them and spoil them, they actually become a bit ungrateful. They actually learn, they don't learn the value of things. They don't actually learn that. And that is actually so important. So as a father, we have to know when to say no. 
and not just give in to our children. Because actually, if we truly love them, we choose what's best for them, what's going to build character in them. So sometimes the choice to withhold something will build their character and which will help them in the future. And what we need to understand is our Father God sees the big picture. He sees everything. He sees what we don't see. So if he's holding something back, we might see that it's painful, it's hard. But actually, you know, we don't see the bigger picture. Sometimes I know, I know people who share things in the past from when they got, you know, they look back on their life of things that didn't happen. That when they were praying for it fervently, and actually years later, they're like, I kind of understand because God had a better plan for me. God had a plan doing this. But actually, at the time, it's just, oh, it's an unanswered prayer, and it's really hard, in the same way that saying no to George and the third chocolate bar is hard. We were away at a conference, and there was a, there was a song, and I just want to share you the, the, the words of the chorus, because this is what our God is like. It's extravagant. It doesn't make sense. We'll never comprehend the way you love us. It's unthinkable. Only heaven knows just how far you'd go to say you love us. So that's my favourite bit, being able to lavish. So on to the bit I don't enjoy as much, discipline. So again, two and a half years, this is something I don't enjoy. Do you know what? Discipline is really hard for me. I don't like telling my boys off. And do you know what? Telling Ben off, it feels you say no, and he just smiles and does it again. Because he doesn't understand yet. But at this age, you've still got to do it. You've got to say no, take them away, and just te- start teaching that age. And again, George is at the age where you tell him no, and he <gasps> and starts to cry, and he looks upset. I hate it. I don't want my children to be upset. But actually, if we love our children, we create boundaries around them. Because these boundaries actually make them feel supported. We, Lizzie and I have just been doing the parenting course that the church runs, which is their care and the family one. And it's brilliant because it talks about children and boundaries. And it talks about the fact that if you confine children and have really strict, really harsh boundaries, they feel very penned in. But equally, if you don't give them any boundaries, they feel lost. They feel uncared for. They feel that they don't know what's going on. And actually, they're really important to get a boundary that gives them a bit of freedom but makes them feel secure. So we've got to, as parents, stop and challenge behaviour that isn't good for them. Again, same as, same as with the not over-lavishing, we're building character. Or else, actually, it's just to protect them. You know, it, you know saying to a child, that, oh, don't run in the road. You know, you have to. You have to, to explain to them. I already sit there with George now, walking up to the side of the road and try and explain to him, right, you need to look for cars and you mustn't run. And there's a few times where he's run off our drive. Now, we live in a quiet little place, but you see him running down the drive and I'll shout to him, stop. And he'll look. And I'll say, you mustn't run near that road. And you explain it. And it's because not because you want to be harsh, but it's because there's danger there. And you're saying, look, I need to protect you. So we discipline because we love. I don't discipline children I don't know and that I don't have a relationship with because you only can really discipline from a place of love. I also know that the discipline that my parents gave me was good for me and they they did it from a place of love. And I mean, now this is funny because I'm going to share what my perception of my, of my, what my parents were like. Now this is, they'll probably laugh because it probably wasn't anything like this, but from my perception, my perception was that probably 99% of all discipline my mum dealt with, but with the threat of having to bring my father into the situation. So I was always like, I don't want to get. But actually, the funny thing is, I sit back now and I 
really can't remember dad telling me off really, but on a few occasions, but mostly it wasn't. And I, and I get this sense that all I saw from my dad was a love and really loving me. But my mum was always like, you don't want your dad to deal with this. And it was always, that was always what it was. And I was, and it was, it was, I don't know why it was. I was like, oh, okay, I really, I, you know, I respect my dad, but I, I, maybe I don't want to get him angry. Now I didn't see him angry. But I, there was this, I don't want that. And actually, John, you know that can be what it's like with God, you know. He, we actually see his love, his blessing, his love. We actually, I don't think I've seen him angry with me. But I know that actually there are things that I can do that will make him unhappy. I'm just going to read here what's in, in Proverbs um, 3, verse 11 and 12. It says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. And then Hebrews 12, verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and not daughters at all. Moreover, we have had all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirit and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought that, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for good, in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvestness of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God has set us boundaries, and not going over and going over these boundaries is sin. God hasn't set them to be mean or harsh or to be oppressive in his authority. His authority is loving authority. He loves us enough to tell us the truth and do things that are the best for us. God knows that sin is bad for us and it does us no good. That's why he set the boundaries. If you've accepted Jesus, you can come before God and ask him for forgiveness and be forgiven. Uh, Isaiah 1 says, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. As a dad, part of discipline is teaching our children to repent afterwards. As we want our children to not repeat behaviours that isn't good for them. The challenge is sometimes getting them to not repeat the behavior. And that's why we have to be consistent. We have to keep turning them. But repentance, so repentance isn't simply acknowledging wrongdoings, because our young children can do that. But it's actually changing mind and heart, and includes changing direction and turning away from it. Both in discipline and lavishing, I've learned as a father to do the things that have my children's best interests at heart. It doesn't mean that I'm being mean or ungenerous when I'm disciplining them or holding something back, but I've learned that I am willing to take the hard path because I love my boys so much. And this has opened up my eyes to understand how much God loves me. Because I hope that I'm a good dad, but I know he's the best. So I'm going to hand on to Matt to do the next so, uh, yeah, as, as you may have seen a few, uh, few moments ago, uh, Lisa and I, we've got Noah, who's coming up five. Uh, we've got Noah, uh, Lily coming up three. 
And uh, because we love fun and games, we've got uh, number three on the way anytime, anytime soon for a brand new challenge. One of the, um, one of the many things that, um, one of the many things people didn't tell us about parents, um, actually probably looking at my shirt, the point of not ironing shirts when you're going to hold young children is probably one of them. But generally, one of the biggest things was that the drama and the tears that are involved when you leave your children anywhere. You know, if, if the, the, the drama when you leave them at, at nursery for the first time and creche or uh, at friends' houses, you go through this whole um, traumatic experience as a, as a parent and for the children of, of, of them seeing you make their, your way towards the door and they're starting to, their lip quivers and they cry and as you got, turn the handle, they you know, cling onto your leg and cry out, Daddy, Mummy, don't go, don't go, don't go. And, and you try a valiant attempt to get out of the door and they crumble and cry uncontrollably and you've got the nursery assistant or the creche helper going, oh, it's fine, go, go, it'll be fine. They'll be fine. And you're, not, you're just standing there like, well, they're not, they're not fine. And so you do, you, you, you relent, you go back in, you, you, you put your arms around them and they, they sort of, you know, do, do the sort of the quivering shoulders and start to calm down. And you might do that for the, you know, the second and the third time, but there comes a point in, in those situations where they may get, start to get a bit better and you get a sense, okay, look, we're going to have a bit of a drama here. There's going to be tears. They're going to cry out for me. But what is best for them? What is the best thing for them is for me to go, for me to go out of that other side of the door, for them to hopefully realise that I will be back, because it's about maturity, it's about development, it's about their personal growth. How are they going to grow into the children and the young adults and the teenagers that we want them to be? It's an important life lesson that they need to learn, they need to grow into, they need to develop. But how do you how do you communicate that to a two year old? How do you talk about personal growth and maturity to to to, to, to your two year old who all they see all they see is their uh, primary caregiver, their primary source of love, affection, compassion, their their shining light in their world, just standing at the door and waving goodbye and, and leaving them in a in a in a strange situation. To them, if they were able to articulate. It, in this way, it would seem cold, it would seem cruel, it, it, it would seem like we're creating a, a sense of silence and, and distance. And when we uh, look in the Bible, we kind of see this from uh, biblical figures, this apparent view they have of apparent distance and apparent silence of God. You know, we see in Psalms, especially Psalm 13, where uh, King David cries out, you know, how long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? We see in the accounts of people like Job, Joseph, Abraham, among others, of quite difficult parts of their life where God appears to be silent. There appears to be that dis- distance. But when, we, well, when, when, I, when I've kind of reflected on this and seen it through the eyes of a parent now, what we're doing to our children in these times where we're leaving them, maybe at nursery or as they grow up, if we're stepping aside a bit for them to cope in a difficult situation, to, for them to grow, we're not creating distance. We're not creating silence. We are creating opportunity. We are creating the opportunity for them to develop, grow and mature. 
Okay, so there's an important distinction that I want to make and make very clear of. Because we've talked, uh, it came up with Felix talking about distance and what Nathan brought as well, about uh, you know, children crying out for, for their father. What I'm talking about here, and I'm making the distinction between times of difficulty and times of despair. So in times of despair, in times of immense sorrow, of loss, of hopelessness, where you are from your very soul crying out for your God because of the loss or, or tragedy that may have happened... I want to affirm that we have a Father God that will be there, will carry you, will hold you, will wrap his arms of love around you. And in those times of despair, we see particular elements of a parent. We see tenderness, we see empathy, we see compassion. But at times of difficulty, in times of challenge, in times in our life where obstacles need to be overcome sometimes, we see a different element of of parenthood. We can see encouragement, we can see empowerment, we see impartation and wisdom. So that distinction, I I believe, is is quite important. And we can sometimes, and I label it fridge fridge magnet Christianity. So sometimes we have pithy phrases and well-meaning verses that hold in themselves, in that verse, a, a very, very powerful truth of who God is. But the danger is when we base our whole faith on these verses to represent and, ref- and we, we uh, attribute them to every area of our relationship with God. And that they have a purpose in every part of that journey of, and of, of, of who God is. So just as one example, and I'm not, picking, I'm not sort of um, slating this particular one because I, I, I do like it. I just want to say it now. I do like it. It's, got, it's very powerful. But um, the Footprints poem, I just want to take. So, for those that may not know, the Footprints poem is a, is a powerful um, analogy and story of um, a man and God reflecting and, and seeing this man's life represented as footprints in the sand. And the man notices that at the low points of his life, there's only one set of footprints. And he wonders and asks God, why, why is this? Why, why, why is there only one set? And God replies, my son, at those times, there I carried you, there I supported you. And if I were to be bold to add something to that poem, it would be this. It would be, my son, at those times of despair, of immense sorrow and tragedy, rest assured, I carried you, I held you. But at those other low points in your life, I did not carry you. I stood by your side, encouraging you and empowering you to walk in the strength that I have given you through my Holy Spirit to overcome these times of difficulty. I implored you to rise up and become the champion of faith that you can be. Because, to be honest, I don't want or desire pampered princes. And I, as Father God... There's a fine line between pampering and parenting, and I walk it perfectly. So I just wanted to say, in this regard, if you've had times or going through times of difficulty, of challenge, where obstacles need to be overcome, and you feel or have felt a very strong and apparent sense of God's silence in these situations, God's distance in these situations... 
I just implore you to pray with, with, in your own reflection with other people. Pray into those situations. Where does the growth come? Where is the maturity going to come from? Because I want to affirm in you that as Father God, he is not, he is not creating distance. He is creating opportunity in your life to grow. So one of the, one of the things that people did uh, tell Lisa and myself a lot about that was very true to the point of cliche was the, was the, 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 the love that just comes when you have your baby in your arms in those first few seconds. Like, even like, to the point of cliche, like, it was literally love at first sight. When you're holding this baby and the midwife gives it, gives, I won't say it, that sounds horrible, gives him, we'll just use Noah as an analogy. When, Noah, when the midwife gave Noah to me and you're looking at this baby boy and you, and you see um, just this love, you know, straight away I just felt this immeasurable, relentless love and, and just saying to this boy, there's nothing that you can do, there's nothing that you can say, nothing that you can be that would stop me loving you or for my love to reduce in its strength and intensity and depth and, and, and quantity. My love for you is just there and will forever be there for you. And, and, and you take him home and, and, and we put him in his Moses basket and you just think about the, the wonderful life you're going to lead. And then quite quickly we realised, or I realised, I won't say we, I realised... He's pretty boring. If I'm, if I'm honest, if, I, if I'm brutally honest, the first, few, the first few days, weeks, the first few months, they're pretty boring. Like, literally, like, yeah, they, they don't sleep when you would want them to, but they sleep for three quarters of the day. And when they're awake, what, they just lie there and poo and, and eat. That's, that's literally it. That's all they, that's all they do. But as they, but as, as, as Noah grew and, and, you know, in, in the first few weeks you get a little twitch in the mouth and you think you might see a smile and then, you know, starts to roll over. That's quite a big event when they roll over on their tummy and it's sort of, that's like, what, that's Facebook worthy, I, I found out. They're always rolled over on the tummy. Um, and then they start to crawl and walk and, and, and then it all comes, you know, like buses, you know, lots, lots of stuff happen. And, so I, I was always, when this sort of started to happen, I was very much reminded of something that someone said. And I'll, I'll be honest, this someone wasn't a wise philosopher um, or, or very use, or really powerful preacher. It was Fraser, Fraser Crane from the uh, TV show Fraser. I'll just put that sort of, that's sort of where I'm getting my source of uh, knowledge from here. But he, he says in one of the episodes, he says, um, you don't just love your children, but you fall in love with them. And I've really identified that with, with, with my children. That not only did I have that, 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 that overwhelming sense of love when they were put in my arms, but I fell in love with the person, with the character, with the, their quirks, with their humour, with their attributes as they grew. And I, just, just to, again, make, I want to make something crystal clear. I, in no way, shape or form am I saying the, the, the quantity, the depth, the intensity of my love changes. I love them exactly the same. No, the strength of my love that I feel is, is, is the same. What is different, though, is this. When Noah was a few weeks old, there was literally four ways that I could demonstrate my love for him. I could show that his dad loved him by cuddling him, by feeding him, by uh, making silly faces, and by wiping his bum. 
Like, literally, there were the four ways that you could show that you loved. That, there were the four ways that I could show that I loved my son. But as he grow, grew and developed and, and got all of these different likes, interests, his own character, there's, there's now dozens of approaches and ways that I can demonstrate and show my love for him. And the real point is that it's, it's his capacity his capacity to feel and experience and acknowledge my love has grown exponentially as he's developed and as he's acquired that character and personality. So I just wanted to make that particular point clear. And the, the, falling, in, the falling in love of your child is, I believe, something that um, has really helped me in my understanding of God's love. Because... And I'm going to be very honest with you. I got a bit desensitized to God's love, to the love of God. To the point of where people would say, God loves you. And I'd be like, well, tell me something. It sounds terrible. Because, you know, God's love is the, 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 the whole motivation behind everything in the whole universe. It's the most powerful force in the world. I got to the point where people, you'd hear preached on, on, on songs, yeah, God's, God, God loves you, God loves his children. Be like, well, tell me something I don't know. Tell, you know, I, I, I'm just being real. I've, I've heard this in hundreds of different ways by hundreds of different people. And to a point of, well, yeah, God is love. God loves his children. Well, of course, he's got to love me. But when I started to realize and, 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 and go through this reflection of actually God has fallen in love with me, then it became a very, very powerful word. Of It's not just the fact that God, God is love, so then God just loves all of his children. It's the fact that as you, as you have grown and developed and, and become the, the men, the women that you are, with your own humor, quirks and interests, God has fallen in love with that journey and fallen in love with you as you've, as you've just grown. And also, as a Christian, as you've grown into your ministry and spiritual gifts, God falls in love with you in such a, in such a wonderfully unique way. And just to say as well, you know, if you haven't even accepted that there is a God or acknowledged his existence, he still has fallen in love with you. Someone has fallen in love with you, even when you haven't even acknowledged or accepted that they exist. How ridiculous is, is that? They're falling in love with the, the person that you are and the person that you've become and the, the interests that you've developed. God has fallen in love with each and single one of you in a very wonderfully unique way. And for me personally, that has powerfully um, changed the way that I um, acknowledge and praise and, and, and stand in awe at the love of God. So I think just as we've heard from you know, Simon for Felix about not believing hearsay, stories or lies about who Father God is, but to experience it firsthand and to go to your Father yourself to experience of who he is, of, of, uh, of God's sometimes uh, unknown, no, unknowing time that he's using. And what Dave was speaking about, about, you know, God wanting to, just to lavish appropriately and in, a, 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 an incorrect measure, lavish his joyful grace and wonderful gifts to you. 
And the whole area that can sometimes be difficult around discipline and repentance, but the importance of boundaries that a loving parent would put around any of their children. And just affirm around the difference between difficulty and despair, the importance uh, of God never creating knowing distance between him and his children, but creating opportunity for his children to grow. And the very fact that God not just only loves you, but falls in love with you. So I just invite Jenny and the band back just to lead us now, just in a, in, in a time of just reflection, just reflect on the things that myself, Dave, Felix, have, have brought out of our own experience as a father, um, and really just, just, just reflect now. Just know that you have a father God, even if you haven't even acknowledged his existence, who loves you, who doesn't discipline because he's cruel. He disciplines because he puts boundaries on the people that he loves. A God whose timing will work out for, good, for, for the greater good and for the good of you, even if it's not apparent for, for, for now. And really, just what Felix said at the start, do not let lies, hearsay, other people's opinion or experience stop you exploring who this God is and who he can be in your life.